Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Okay, welcome everyone in podcast land. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about the Nothing event that has finally been officially announced. And we do a roundup of the recent Apple event and all the products that were announced in it. Okay, starting off with topic number one. So last week, you we were kind of speculating on Carl Pay showing off some phone, a mystery phone to some CEOs at different, you know, mobile phone companies. And we're saying, hey, you know, there's rumors floating around that a new phone could be coming out in April, right? Or not a new phone, even just the first phone from Carl Pay's company, nothing. Well, just earlier today, they actually sent out an email inviting people to their event or announcing they're going to have an event. So the email reads, see the truth, as in the letter C, I guess for Carl Pay, Wednesday, 23rd of March, 1400 GMT. Then it goes on to say, what if we told you 2021 was just a warm up? To what? Sign up here, link provided. To watch Carl share what's coming next himself. The Nothing event is happening on the 23rd of March, 1400 GMT. Spoiler alert, we just might reveal our next product, the Nothing team. So they have something in the works. They're ready to show off the end of March, which will probably come out in the beginning of April. And I'm sure that they had hoped that this would be a complete surprise. We'd catch people completely off guard they wouldn't oh wait what coming out with a new product is a new headphone is it maybe a phone but i mean unfortunately for carl pay and nothing the leaks are too prevalent in the year of 2022 so everyone knew that this was happening already but even though we're expecting that even though i'm sure most people in the tech sphere who are interested in tech are expecting this some sort of event or some sort of announcement to come. The fact that it's now official, that there's something from the company saying, hey, tune in at this time on this day. I think, you know, it's, it's building a little bit of excitement. And who knows, we could over the next couple weeks, right? Because we're exactly two weeks away from the date we're recording. You know, there could be more, some press images leak out, some macro photography of some, you know, the transparent backing on the phone, maybe some specs start leaking out, but I'm definitely looking forward to this event. I'm looking forward to see what nothing has to offer. What are your thoughts on this upcoming event? Are you looking forward to it or is it, eh, you know, you were expecting them to have an event. You're expecting them to announce something. So not that big of a deal to you. Well, yeah, well, it's funny because like you mentioned, we did talk about it on the last podcast. This is kind of expected based on the leaks that we, we've heard, but it's still really kind of cool and fun to get confirmation. Because the, the fact is nothing is a really new company. Uh, and we don't really know concretely with any leak if it's 100% true, but especially with a new company when there isn't like a track record of you know, concrete leaks coming from them. It's, it's always kind of hard to, to say, oh yeah, this is definitely going to happen because I remember even in the past, uh, you know, last week's podcast, we mentioned nothing did purchase the remains of, of essential. 
And I remember we've had leaks in the past about Essential potentially releasing their second phone and stuff like that. And that never came to pass. Uh, and the company kind of folded. So, yes, hearing these leaks, you know, it, it got me excited, but it wasn't concrete. So actually hearing, hey, there's going to be an event. It's going to be March 23rd. And spoiler alert, we may just launch our next product. Hearing that kind of stuff is, is really cool. And it coincides with a lot of moves that they've been making recently. In January of this year, at the end of January, January 28th, they announced that they brought in the ex-Dyson head of design, Adam Bates, now an employee at nothing. They announced, you know, with this this uh, announcement that they're going to do this event, that, hey, they secured $70 million in funding uh, going forward. So I don't know if, for example, Adam Bates... Uh, joining nothing because it's been so recent if that is going to affect the design of the phone at all maybe maybe not it, it seems a little bit too soon for that to be the case um, and same thing with this this line of funding is this going to maybe help them uh, launch the device in more markets because uh, that's something that that can always be kind of nebulous with any kind of new company if you're not in the United States are you actually going to be able to get this phone? Or if you're not in China, are you actually going to be able to get this phone? So seeing things like this actually happen and seeing it becoming more real makes the product feel more real. And yeah, I, I'm really excited to see a new player in the smartphone market, especially if, like we were had the discussion about last podcast, if they can maybe attack that 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 mid-range price point or even budget price point, or even if it is flagship, regardless, it's just nice to see a brand new player in the phone market. Uh, I guess the real cool thing is we know, or the real question is we know they're going to, you know, use aspects of the design of the Nothing Ear Ones, which look really, really cool. Have this transparent case, and also the buds themselves are transparent with a accent color, either white or black. We know that they're going to use that as inspiration for the phone. So the design is going to be relatively cool and, and, and unique the way that the, the buds are. My question to you is beyond just the design, is there any one feature maybe taken from the iPhone line or Samsung's phones that you think that they should focus on? Should they focus on maybe like an OLED display, high res display, battery life, you know, maybe under display cameras or fingerprint sensors? Is there anything like right now in the phone market that you feel like would be a great thing for them to stake their claim on since they're a brand new company in the space? So I think the number one thing that would make this a hit would be a solid camera. Mm. But that is not an easy thing to do. True. Right? As, as we've seen from pretty much any phone manufacturer out there, when you look at phone cameras, the best ones are consistently Apple, Google, and then I'd say Samsung is a close third. And, you know, sometimes they kind of catch up a little bit, but... It's generally Apple and Google that have the great phone cameras. Mm -hmm. And it would be very hard for nothing with their first phone ever to make a phone camera that is competitive with the Apple and the Google cameras. Because a lot of it is, you know, there's computational photography, there's color science, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. Aside from just, okay, we have the newest Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 chip, which is going to make our, our our pictures that much better, right? 
And I think it's going to take some time in the industry, some time figuring out what people like about your cameras, what they don't like about it, the lenses you're using, the ISP you're using. I feel like there's a lot that goes into it that is going to make it difficult to, I guess, crack that top tier. And not to mention, look how long Carl was with OnePlus, right? And OnePlus, I'm not, not to say they have a bad camera, but mm-hmm. they definitely don't have a camera on the level of Apple, on the level of Google. And even when you look at, they just have this brand new partnership with Hasselblad, which is supposed to revolutionize your cameras. I mean, you know, from reviewers standpoint of view, it's gotten better. Their cameras have gotten better, but it's still definitely a different tier. So mm-hmm. all that being said, I think if they had an amazing camera, I think it would completely knock things out of the park, but they probably won't be able to do that. So I would say, battery life uh i would say a good screen it doesn't need to be like the most doesn't need to be 144 hertz oled you know under display fingerprint sensor just a good screen good battery life and that's really i don't know that's really all i think they need to be a successful device right now mm-hmm. so people can use their phone all day and people enjoy let's say watching youtube videos or watching tiktoks watching stuff on instagram you know as long as they have that down and it's a a generally usable phone i think it will be a success for them but if they screw up on the battery life where people can't even use it for half of the day if they have um, it's i think it's kind of hard now to have a terrible screen on a smartphone but if they have a terrible screen right that's something that could really make it hard for them but i guess in that sense, battery life is the most important thing I think they could focus on because they're probably not going to, you know, hit the camera out of the park. They're probably getting their screens from Samsung, so they'll have good screens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the thing that kind of is left is the design and how how long the battery lasts. Well, with that, because I could imagine, yeah, I, I kind of agree, like, battery is really important and OnePlus with carl pay did make battery charging speed a a priority as well um with things like dash charge back in the day so i I could imagine that yeah he's probably going to take that expertise hopefully and and bring that into the essential phone but my question is i guess for OnePlus and and kind of everyone out there with this device taking the design aesthetic from the ear ones and focusing on potentially a a transparent kind of aesthetic, does the battery hurt that in any way? For example, if they have a really big battery in this phone and it takes up the majority of the space of the interior of the phone and you don't really get to see much other than a battery, does that hurt the design? Do you think they sacrifice certain things like functionality, like battery life, like, you know, cameras, to maybe miniaturize them and make them a little bit smaller so that the phone looks better uh, if they're going to be a transparent kind of aspect to it? It's a good question, you know. Um, I don't know if they necessarily shrink them, mm-hmm. but I, I guess it's going to definitely have to change the design of the phone. And I guess the thing, too, is also how much of the back let's say, is going to be transparent, or we don't even know if it's going to be the back. We're assuming it's going to be the back. It could be the sides of the phone is transparent and everything else is just regular. 
but I guess it's how much of it is going to be transparent and what sections. Because even, let's say, if you just have the the part across the top back of the phone where the camera is, if you have all of that transparent, and then let's say you have a periscope and lens and you can see the lens moving, you know, in and out, in and out, mm-hmm. that would be pretty cool. That'd be a very cool feature. Maybe you have like a fan on the inside of your phone, you know, getting a little bit crazy. And that's transparent also. That would be a pretty cool feature to see. But then let's say the bottom two thirds of the phone, which is covered up by the battery, doesn't need to be transparent because it's just going to be a battery anyways. Yeah. The one thing, you know, to your point, which I could see them run into trouble is maybe if they don't even shrink the battery, but if they just change their alignment of it, because typically when you open up phones nowadays, the battery is, it's it's pretty much as far away from the processor as you can get sort of. And I guess it depends on the phone company too, right? Cause some, now they're designing like L shaped motherboards for, for phones. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like, maybe they shrink it, but I also think that just because of the way phones are typically arranged, maybe they just don't have the part that is largely going to be covered by the battery transparent. Yeah. And they just have everything around that being transparent so you can see some internals that would be interesting to see but you don't need to see the battery because it's just going to be you know a black piece of plastic anyways um but i think one one kind of thing we could run into trouble too like you said snapdragon 8 gen 1 is power hungry chip i think them trying to arrange rearrange the insides of their phone to try and look better when transparent could cause battery issues or more so along the lines of like thermal regulation issues. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I could have, I think could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're, you're potentially right. Like it's going to be like you mentioned last week, they had to rethink how they designed the interior of the nothing ear ones because it was going to be transparent. And to be clear with the case and the buds themselves, the transparency doesn't necessarily mean you see everything that's in the device. It means that it's an aesthetic where you can see some parts and then some parts maybe have like a, a nice looking plastic covering it or, you know, a design that's under a clear plastic that you get to see, which I think is really, really cool. So, yeah, me personally, I would love for them to almost do kind of like what the Nexus 5 is. But instead of it having like that colored textured back, it just has the the same kind of clear plastic that you see on the Nothing Ear One's case. Um, And maybe they use some some design. So I hope like what you're mentioning is if some parts are transparent and some parts aren't, I hope the entire plastic shell around it is transparent and they decide how they want to do that underneath that. So like maybe another layer with like a, a nicely designed pattern to cover up parts that they don't maybe don't want you to see. But if they want to show you, like, maybe the battery is too boring to show you, um, maybe they they cover that up. And then the motherboard or, like you're saying, a really cool camera assembly, uh, you can fully see. But then again, maybe, maybe they just make it fully transparent. I mean, OnePlus in the past has, despite the fact that you can't see the battery, they've always kind of made the battery look really cool with, like, the red um accents back in the day i think they changed that mm-hmm. over over time um because in the one plus one you actually could take off the back and see the battery uh which is kind of crazy to think who how many phones can you actually take off the battery uh the back of 
And actually, I think that's a that's that's a really good design because the one plus one, the way that it was designed, is the entire back was a separate piece to the fold. So you could take it off and essentially put on a different back. They released two at the time. There was a white and a sandstone black. And let's say you bought one of them, you could actually buy the other backing and just put it on your phone, but it felt like a modern unibody phone because mm-hmm. the the it kind of encompassed the entire device. And yeah, that's something I would love for them to do with with the the phone. Potentially make a back that's interchangeable, uh maybe has some some different kind of color tints to the to the transparency. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, I, it, it, right now, it's kind of a mystery of what this thing's actually going to look like, or even if it's actually going to be a phone. Who knows? Maybe they announce a nothing year twos. <laughs> but nothing um, watch, could be watch. watch. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it's just cool because there's so much mystery in this company. Um, just comes from the name nothing, and yeah, I'm, I'm. I don't know about you, but I'm. I'm excited to see what they do. So aside from. Aside from a headphone jack, mm-hmm. what features would you like to see on this phone? So for me, Halo features, like you mentioned, headphone jack, 100% on there. SD no, card slot. SD, <laughs> okay. SD card slot and a pop-up camera. Pop-up uh, camera. Pop-up camera, yes. I think pop-up cameras, front-facing cameras are the best. Uh, i not a fan of notches. Although I think Essential did a really cool notch. I, I, I thought that was a cool part of the design. Um, and like the whole punch cameras are fine, but I like the fact that a camera can just disappear and it you get the full screen of the, the full display um, uninterrupted by anything. I think that's a really cool look and it's what my current phone has and nothing is really doing that right now. I, I think it's just more expensive to make a motorized camera. So a lot of companies... I've gone the whole punch or notch route. Uh, so yeah, I would love to see a, a, a pop-up camera. But yeah, headphone jack, SD card slot, definitely top of my list. How about you? Interesting. Um, they're definitely not doing a headphone jack. Yeah. After their first product was wireless That's headphones. such a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, features, I would say, uh, I would say front-facing speakers. Mm. I would say that. And to kind of mitigate the camera, the same way the last Sony phone that came out, how they had like a bit of an extra bezel that mm-hmm. they use for their camera, that they use for their front face and speakers. I would say like bring back a tiny bit of a bezel, just enough to house the speakers and the camera. That way you don't have to take any real estate away from the phone and you get a better view and experience from your phone too. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Though that's a good idea, especially so you can avoid the notches and the hole punches and stuff. Yeah, like that, which aren't terrible, honestly. I don't hate notches and hole punches. It's just they're unnecessary. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. My okay. My final question is: What are the chances that we get an atomic purple phone? N sixty four style. Is that a rumor that's going around? No, no. I literally just made it up. I just want it. Uh, So I'm trying to will it into existence. (laughs) I mean, that would be pretty awesome. I doubt that's going to (laughs) happen. That would be pretty awesome, though. Yeah. I I mean, I personally would like the see-through green one because that's the N64 Mm. that I had. Yeah. I would like to see that. 
And you know, green phones are all the rage right now, apparently. So <laughs> True. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Our second topic of the day is the Apple Peak Performance Event Roundup. It's a pretty exciting event, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things announced. There was a lot of things leaked. I mean, I feel like even up until a couple hours before the event happened, I saw a tweet about something that was coming out. I was like, oh, wow, this is a bit last minute, but it was in there. So most of what we got was predicted. There was, I would say, a couple of things that caught me off guard that I was a little bit surprised by. But just going through the uh, event, they started off with some Apple TV stuff. It seems like all of their events, they kind of talk about how well Apple Apple TV is doing and I mean why not it's pretty much a commercial for it right they show some successful Apple TV shows movies in the past they show some stuff to look forward to that's coming out in the future then they got onto their products they started off with the iPhone SE everyone said this was coming we talked about this coming so they're sticking with the the iPhone SE design the most recent one based off the iPhone 8 but They've added the A15 Bionic to it. They've added 5G. They've also added $30 to the price tag. Everyone was kind of saying, oh, no, it's going to stay the same price, same price, same price. But they bumped it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. They also, for their iPhone 13 and 13 Pro, they added new colors, two new green colors. Let me get the technical names for these. I don't want to get these wrong, heaven forbid. So the iPhone 13 Pro now comes in alpine green and the iPhone 13 now comes in green. Green? Just call it green? It's just calling it green. <laughs> they don't have a fancy name for it. It's just green? It's just green. Okay. All right. Well then. Green. It comes in green. And if you're a professional, you get alpine green. So... <laughs> They updated the iPad Air. Everyone saw it coming, but there was rumors that it was going to get the A15 chip, so it's going to be bumped up to you know the same new chip, A15. They're putting in everything this year, in the iPhones and the iPad Mini and the iPad Air. But this one caught me off guard. They put yeah. an M1 chip inside of the iPad Air, <laughs> which, so before this event, I would have said that the best value for iPads, I guess, I would say is the iPad Air because, yeah, it has the A14 chip, but it's more than powerful for anything you're going to need to do on the iPad. It's functional with all the newest accessories, whether whether that's the Apple Pencil 2, whether it's the Magic Keyboard. And in terms of form factors, I think I mentioned this before, the 11-inch tablet seems to be the most, I know, what Apple thinks is the most popular size. Mm-hmm. Like the same way the iPhone 13 comes in 6.1, the 13 Pro comes in 6.1. We have the iPad Air in 11 inches. We have the iPad Pro in 11 inches. So I thought it was the most bang for your buck product. Yeah. Now they put the M1 chip inside of the iPad Air. It's it's essentially an iPad Pro 11 yeah. inch. Like the only thing is what? It doesn't have a LiDAR sensor and an extra camera. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it is just as good as iPad Pro, but it costs like a few hundred dollars less than it. 
So I was very blown away by it. Very impressed with that. They talked about Apple Silicon and how well it's been doing. And they brought out a new chip. Now, all the rumors that I saw leading up to this were there's going to be an M2 chip. There's going to be either a MacBook Air with M2 or maybe a MacBook Pro with M2 or maybe a Mac Mini with M2. No M2. They're still on M1. But they came out with a brand new chip, M1 Ultra, which is, you know, kind of stealing Samsung's thing. It's kind of funny. I saw that. And when they were unveiling this new chip, they were saying, oh, you know, M1 Max has been so successful. Such a great chip. Everyone loves it. But has a little tiny secret that we didn't tell you about. You can actually fuse two M1 Max chips into one M1 Super chip or M1 Ultra chip, I guess, through a process called Ultra Pro Fusion, which pretty much is like, doubles everything on the already outrageous M1 Max chip and, you know, brand new chip, brand new processor. You got to have a new product to debut it in. So they showed the Mac Studio, which was like an M1 Mini on steroids, pretty much. Um, So it's the same form factor. Just imagine it's, I would say, about three or four inches taller. Better fans, better cooling, a lot better I.O., if you ask me. You know, you may have something else to say. Um, But this new Mac Studio has the option of an M1 Max chip or an M1 Ultra chip. Um, To pair along with the Mac Studio, we have the Studio Display. So we did hear rumors. You know, there was quite a few rumors about them coming out with, I guess, a less expensive version of their display for consumers. So... It's not a pro display XDR, but something that was, you know, elegantly designed, sort of like the IMAX. This is designed exactly like the IMAX, actually. Not as expensive, 27 inches, 5K retina display. Surprisingly enough, they put an A13 Bionic chip, so their phone tablet chip, inside of this display to handle image signal processing, to handle noise cancellation from the microphones and will creating a sound stage. They have a 12 megapixel ultra wide camera on the front, so it can actually do center stage also. It has a number of USB ports here and there, but those were their products. iPhone SE with A15, two new colors for iPhone 13, iPhone 13 Pro, new iPad Air with M1, their new Apple Silicon chip, the M1 Ultra, which they put in the Mac Studio and their new display, Studio Display. Um, So I know you've watched the event. I know we were kind of talking, speculating about things beforehand. What are your thoughts after watching this event with what Apple revealed? Uh, This event proved to me that at least under this current leadership, I will n- probably never be an Apple customer. Um, it, it blew my mind just how personally... Okay, I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone's reaction to this. Um, so I'm sure there are plenty of people who are in the app, Apple ecosystem who thought this was a great event. And fine. I'm sure M1 Ultra is, is fantastic for someone. Um And all the stuff that they announced, uh, green phone, great, fantastic. For me, um, 
this was, I, I said in the last podcast, the two things that I was interested in seeing was one, the display and the iPhone SE, because they were going to show me what the future, what Apple saw their future was going to be. And the two things I, that I laid out was, are they going to be able to keep the SE the same price? Because to me, that's, that's very important uh, to see if they can maintain uh, a kind of budget device that was very competitive with what was around it, despite the fact that it was using a really old design. And two, the display was key. It was a, a product that they were really missing and uh, they needed. I mentioned about the display that I thought I was hoping that they would get something under $1,000 to replace the, the cinema display, but I thought it was going to be expensive. And guess what? It is expensive and honestly overpriced, uh, as Apple usually is, but to a, to a degree that is kind of nonsensical of why would anyone buy this? This thing is more expensive than uh, an M1 iMac, which is already more expensive than it should be. So it's like, I get it's 27 inches uh, compared to the 24-inch M1 iMac, but the M1 iMac has a processor in it, same as this display, but it can actually run macOS. This has a processor in it to handle center stage. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, it's... To me, it's like you just added a, a A13 just to make this thing more expensive than it really needed to be. Um, so, okay, they brought out a new display. It looks cool. I think it's really dumb because of the price. Uh, the iPhone SE, they've proven to me that, okay, things are going to be getting more expensive. And that's a, a big downside to me because I thought the price point that the SE was at was perfect. It was a perfect price point because it was under $400. It just looked like an attractive price point. It was great for carriers because they could offer it on uh, $0 contracts. Um, and it was just such an easy entry level uh, for that phone, despite the fact that it had bad battery life, uh, 720p screen at the time, and an old design. But it didn't matter because the price was right and the performance was there. Sure, they upped the performance, but with the upping the performance, they upped the price. And it just makes it make even less sense because it's just getting closer and closer to an actual flagship phone with a modern design um, that you can get from, from other companies. Then there's the, the Mac Studio. What about the M1 Ultra? So, okay, well, I'm, I'm combining the two, the M1 Ultra and the Mac Studio, because I, to me, the only reason the Mac Studio is stupid is because of the M1 Ultra. And I'm not saying that the M1 Ultra is stupid. I think it's I think there's stupid parts to it, but uh, it is really impressive what they are aiming for in this processor. But there's two things that that this showed me. One, like you mentioned, this is an M1 Ultra and not an M2. And I think this is Apple realizing that iterating on a processor isn't, especially a desktop class processor, is not as easy to do as quickly as. They maybe criticized Intel for doing, even though Intel was very lethargic with their processors and it took competition from AMD to actually do something about it. But I think Apple is starting to realize that maybe they can't make new chips for desktops as fast as they can for phones. And that's where M1 Ultra comes from because it's essentially two M1 Maxes joined together. The reason why I think this is ridiculous is the way that it was marketed. It really annoyed me the way that they marketed this thing because they compared it to the iMac Pro. 
And we had a conversation about this last week of, I hope that they continue to support the iMac Pro. And you said there was no way that they would support the iMac Pro. Completely agree with you right now. They're proving that they don't want to support the iMac Pro. Sorry, am I saying? Yeah, the iMac Pro. That did have... Just the Mac Pro. Mac Pro. Sorry. Yes, thank you. Mac Pro, which was their flagship desktop, which, you know, had Intel processors. But they compared this to that. And the interesting thing is how they compared it to it. For example, they compared the M1 Ultra to the 16-core version of the Mac Pro because it was the highest-selling Mac Pro, their quotes, highest-selling Mac Pro. Well, I wonder why it was a highest-selling Mac Pro. The reason why it was a highest-selling Mac Pro is because it was the cheap option and you could upgrade the processor yourself. So they were comparing it to a computer that you could literally buy for a decent price for an Apple product and go to a retailer and get your own processor and put it in for a much cheaper cost than it would have been to order from Apple. So, of course, Mm -hmm. that's the one that people are going to get. So comparing it to that best-selling version of that people weren't buying to use, they were buying to upgrade, is a stupid comparison. Not to mention, these are old processors that you haven't supported for a long time. So you're comparing this brand new machine to a machine that you decided to not support anymore and are saying, oh, this is so great. But then also, you mentioned in your marketing modularity when you talked about this product, when there is literally nothing you can upgrade on it. So it's like, it's it's one of those things where you're comparing it to a product that's designed to be modular. You call this thing module, you use modularity as your bullet point in your presentation, but there's no upgradability of it. It's a standalone machine, very similar to, uh, you know, the Mac mini, or if even anyone remembers when Apple made their old Mac Pro, which was the, the round cylinder one that people uh, lovingly call the trash can, uh, Mac Pro that mm-hmm. they never supported and got quickly outdated. So Apple is making these flagship machines that are supposed to have these great performance that is essentially disposable tech. And if you're a professional, I don't I can't understand what the logic around getting something that isn't upgradable, that is disposable, and if something goes wrong with it, pretty much the entire thing is bricked because it has an Apple logo on it. Like, to me, that doesn't make sense. This is the opposite direction of, you know, where technology is going in terms of repairability and modularity. Uh, To bring a flagship expensive machine like this and double down on that, to me, is just nonsensical. So yeah, I I have a lot of problems with that that machine as well. And then finally, the, the iPad Air, which I think is a great product to update, but it goes back to exactly what you were saying before. We criticized the old uh, iPad Pro, the 11 inch, because there was nothing about it that really made it a that made it worth not getting an iPad Air. And then they add the M1 to it, and it's like, okay, now it's a great product. And we even said that the iPad Pro, both the 11 and 13 inch, but specifically the 13 inch, were the best products that Apple made, value wise. Well, I think it was even not necessarily value; it was more like. In terms of hardware that they have to offer, yes. it had the best screen, it had, it had touch you know, screen, the best processor, it had a touch screen, it had yeah. a keyboard, yeah. Pro, X, Pro Display XDR kind of yeah. specs, 100%. Yeah, you're 100% right. And it had that. The 11 didn't have that, but at least it had M1. And, you know, the Air was on the A14 and potentially going to get updated to the A15, as all the rumors suggested. 
But now it's back to the same problem that, that it had before the M1 was put in the iPad Pro, is that the iPad Air is a much better value than the iPad Pro 11-inch because they're using the same processor again. So, yeah, it's like, sure, it's great for people who want iPad Airs, but uh, it kind of makes the 11-inch iPad Pro nonsensical once again uh, because it doesn't have Pro Display XDR specs on its screen. So maybe that's something they they add to it eventually to to kind of differentiate if they can do that. Um, but yeah, right now, once again, I feel like the 11-inch iPad Pro has become irrelevant. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I've been really frustrated by this this event, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's much more positive opinions out there. I'm probably wrong, just like I was wrong about them uh, not releasing a new iPad. Not only was I wrong about them not releasing a new iPad Air, but they jumped a generation by skipping the A15 and adding the M1. Yeah. But uh, so I was super wrong about that. But um, yeah, that's just my, you know, opinions on, on this event. Not really for me. And kind of to me, Apple showed me that they're going in the wrong direction. But that's just my opinion. I'm curious. How did you feel about it? Um, and maybe were you a little bit more positive on the event overall? I'd say overall... I was definitely more positive than you, <laughs> but there's a lot of unnecessary things I felt in it. Mm-hmm. The iPhone SE is exactly what we expected, you know, other than the $30 price jump. Um, you know, same design. It would have been nice in an ideal world. They would have maybe changed it like the iPhone 11 design or the iPhone X, I guess, for uh for their SEs from now on, but I guess they're holding on to the eight for one more year. Mm-hmm. The iPad Air, I would say, is my favorite piece of tech from the show, just because, like as we said, you know, value proposition wise, the original iPad Air, or not the original, the fourth generation iPad Air was great. Now this fifth generation iPad Air makes the iPad Pro look stupid. Yeah, um, especially the eleven inch, as you said, colors on the iPhones. I mean, big whoop. I guess, I don't know. The M1 Ultra. Mm-hmm. I found the M1 Ultra presentation as soon as as soon as soon they said, oh, there's a secret that we weren't telling you guys. You could fuse two iPads together. <laughs> Ultra Pro Fusion. It's like, all right, I've just finished, you know, watching all these reviews from people, listening to everyone talk about Oh, these new MacBook Pros with M1 Pro and M1 Max, they're so powerful. They're so overpowered for anything that I need to do, but I'm just future-proofing for like whatever. And that being said, most of the people that I get my reviews from are YouTubers. So people running YouTube channels, people doing some graphic, you know, image processing. But most of those people say the M1 Max chip is overpowered for what I need to do, for what they're doing on their channels, for their editing, editing, for their, you know, their color grading, for their video work. So when I hear that they decided to make a pretty much a double M1 Max chip, it's like, who needs this? Who was, who had an M1 Max and was running into so many bottlenecks that was, I need double the power in order to to do whatever they're doing. I mean, to Apple's credit, right? It's called the Mac Studio. It's called the Studio Display. 
So in their presentation, they were saying that, hey, this device is made for people in the studio. Mm-hmm. Yes, people that, you know, CGI studios, people in music studios, people producing TV shows. I guess maybe they've been running into bottlenecks with the M1 Max chips that they've been running. And they say, we need more power, Apple. What are you doing? Um, so, you know, for all I know, these are the people who are like, thank you, we need this device. But outside of that, it's, uh, yeah, this is an the M1 Max chip, in my opinion, was overpowered especially for the everyday person, but it was overpowered already. And then before they even gave a chance for that chip to like get old, for people to say, you know, this can't handle my workflow anymore. They just completely blew that out of the water. Yeah. But like I said, maybe people in production studios who are doing CGI, who are handling, you know, pro- producing Donda 2, maybe those are the people that need this sort of power for their for the processor just i definitely don't need this mm-hmm. um that being said i like the design of the of the mac studio really? i like the design of the mac mini mm. i would have ideally liked more ports on the back of the mac mini yeah but they've added more ports to this one They've added a bunch of Thunderbolt ports. They've also added ports to the front of the device. They've added a micro SD card slot, or not, sorry. They've added an SD card slot to the front of the device, not a micro SD card slot. I like the sort of the gradient on the back for heat venting. There were some, you know, you compared it to the trash can iMac, which had a lot of overheating issues. There were some skeptical people out there saying that hey this kind of mimics the design of drawing Aaron from the bottom and funneling it up through the device they're a little hesitant about the the cooling capabilities of this device um but i mean overall aesthetically i like it the mac studio that is yeah i can't get behind the mac studio mm. or not sorry the studio the display, studio display. Mm-hmm. Studio studio display, I can't get behind the studio display. It is way too overpriced for what it is. So it looks great. It's a great looking device. But it initially comes with the, I guess, just the, the stand that only adjusts the tilt of the screen. It doesn't adjust the height or anything. To get the stand that adjusts the height, I think it's an extra $200. Sorry, to get the stand that allows you to adjust the height as well as tilt, it's an extra $400 USD. These are the same stands that are essentially on the Pro Display XDR, but the Pro Display XDR allows you to change the orientation so you can have your screen in landscape, you can have it in portrait. That feature costs an extra six hundred dollars, which you can't even you can't even get for this display. But just to say, the stand for the Pro Display XDR by itself costs a thousand dollars. So the fact that they're cha- they're charging four hundred extra extra dollars for the ability to adjust the height of this screen is kind of crazy to me. It's you know beautifully engineered, looks amazing, all that stuff. 
it's kind of ludicrous. Um, also, when you look at the specs of it, like, yes, it's a 5K display. Yes, it has, you know, true tone. And yes, it has uh, a 12 megapixel ultra wide. It has a 13 bionic chip. It does center stage, has USB 4 ports on it. It can technically, it can provide power to, let's say, your MacBook that can fast charge your 14-inch MacBook Pro, your new one, which is pretty cool to see. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this display is a 60 hertz display, so no ProMotion, not a mini LED, there's no true HDR because it only gets to 600 nits of brightness. It's a very expensive, nice-looking display, but technically speaking, it's not a great display. So, I mean, yeah, out of all these products, I guess I would say iPad Air is probably the one that makes the most sense, especially to the general population. If you're someone who's in a studio that was like, man, this M1 Max chip just ain't cutting it. You know, it's not not doing what I needed to do. Yeah, the M1 Ultra makes sense. The Max Studio could make sense in that sense. But other than that, like the studio display is... If you're someone who is getting a Mac Studio because you're like, I need this much power, you probably should get a Pro Display XDR2. You probably actually already have a Pro Display XDR or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so you definitely don't need this studio display. Just for fun, I kind of spec'd out the the Mac Studio just to see you know, how outrageous it could get. Mm-hmm. So it starts at $2,000. That is with the, you know, only $2,000, the little baby M1 Max chip in it. Let's say if you wanted to get the M1 Ultra chip, it starts at $4,000. These are American prices, by the way. So if you're thinking, oh, you know, $4,000 Canadian, that's not too bad. $4,000 American. Let's say if you wanted to get the best of the best, you got the best studio in the country. You know, you get a 64, you get a 20-core CPU 64 core GPU, you got the 32 core neural engine, it's an extra thousand dollars. Let's say 64 gigabytes of RAM is it enough? You need 128 gigabytes, another 800, one terabyte storage. Now you're producing, you know, Don the Three's coming out soon. You got to work on that. There's a Game of Thrones reboot that's happening, you know, they're doing a prequel to that. They're new Harry Potter movies. You need eight terabytes of storage. That's another $2,200, bringing your device to a grand total of $8,000 American for this Mac Studio. But, you know, let's say if you are someone who's working on all those, you know, products that I just named, all those things, $8,000 for a device that is supposed to be as powerful as they their graphs and their charts make the seem. $8,000 isn't that bad if you're producing, you know, the prequel to Game of Thrones. But for an everyday consumer, $8,000 is outrageous. Yeah. But that being said, there are going to be tech YouTubers that buy these devices, that buy the fully maxed out Mac Studio. And I'm just, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing those reviews, to see what they have to say. Because everyone was just raving, you know, We've talked about this. Everyone was raving about the M1 MacBooks. Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. It can replace my Mac 
Pro from 2016. The N1, M1 Pro and M1 Max came out. Oh, this is the best thing ever. It's way better than my M1 chip. And now I don't, I don't need any other device. This is completely overpowered for what I need to do. Yeah. And now this chip comes up, this device. Oh, this is way better than the, the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. I can never go back after this. It completely changes my workflow. It's like everyone just needs to kind of settle down a bit. Like, well, yeah, Apple makes nice looking stuff. They make, you know, I guess fast stuff, but nobody needs to be spending $8,000 on a device like this. I mean, I, I think that's the interesting part about it, right? Like, I think we talked about it in the past when Apple first announced M1 and they started making these really, really ridiculous claims. And we both were like, oh, we're kind of skeptical about these claims. And it turns out that the claims that they made with their vague graphs, which they had in this event as well with the Mac Studio and the M1 Ultra, that they're very interesting graphs, which are, I don't even know what they mean. Still to this day, Apple's been showing them for years and they're just two random curved lines. <laughs> With a dotted line going from one to the other saying 50% better or something like that. I don't know. But um, the interesting thing is that when M1 came out and people were making those claims of like, oh, these are the greatest things ever. I can replace my Mac Pro with this. Uh, and then the M1 Pro and the M1 Max came out. And then people started to say, oh, but you know what? I couldn't edit 4K video as well as I wanted to on the original M1. And it didn't. it wasn't until the new option came out that that was actually a concern. Um, to be talked about. And yeah, I could see a similar thing happening here, but you know, I, I don't want to want to pretend like the Mac studio isn't impressive and isn't going to really accelerate a lot of people's workflows. Like if you're doing a, a 3d render in blender or something like that, and you know, this incredible memory bandwidth, unified memory bandwidth, not just video memory bandwidth, but unified memory bandwidth that's at really high speeds double that of what is on the M1 Max um, and double the, the GPU and CPU cores, I'm sure that's really going to make exports and, you know, uh, working so much more efficient and so much easier. And it's kind of hard to put a price on your time, right? Like if anything can make things easier and quicker, it's going to be worth it. And uh, yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Uh, like I said, my big issue with this device, the Mac Studio, the M1 Ultra, is one in the marketing. Um, I, I think the marketing was a little bit ridiculous. Uh, the fact that, one, they're comparing it to a Mac Pro that came out in 2019 that they kind of haven't updated since. And Apple does this all the time. They release a product and they kind of just leave it. And then they start comparing new devices to it. Like when they compared the new iPad the, the like regular iPad to the first generation iPad or the second generation iPad for some reason. <laughs> like, why would you do that? But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. But also what makes it even more ridiculous is when they talk about things like graphics performance, you know, in the past they talked about how, you know, the, the M1 Max chip and it's 32 graphics cores are going to compete with a 3080 and stuff like that. And it didn't turn out to be the case. And this time, they kind of lowered their comparisons and started comparing it to the GPUs that were in that are in the current Mac Pro, which once again came out in 2019, and the GPUs were not good when they came out in 2019. So it's like you're comparing it to things that 
yeah, it's favorable to compare it to, but they're not good things. Like these aren't things that people would choose to use today. Um, mm -hmm. And the only reason that you can compare it to that is because it's something you stopped supporting. You stopped releasing uh, options for people to, to upgrade with. Uh, and that's a really big shame. And then on top of that, I do think we, ha we have to get to a point where we got to start being critical on why a desktop should be a fully integrated system that has no upgrade ability. This isn't a laptop. This isn't something like we're talking about it with laptops nowadays that, that that's not acceptable, that you should be able to swap out hard drives and stuff like that on laptops. We're seeing it with things like framework, talking about how we can make a laptop as thin and light as anyone else, and you can still upgrade it. But on a desktop, to have this conversation is insane, in my opinion. It, it, it shouldn't be something that we're having, and especially in something that's supposed to be this price. And when they ended off that conference, they hinted at, and we're going to be talking about, you know, a potential M1 powered Mac Pro. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the, the the event was called Peak Performance and Peak was spelled P-E-E-K. Um, so it's like, okay, this is going to be a peak at, at our our future uh, for our performance machines and our professional machines. If this is the peak at what the future is going to be, and the future is going to be fully integrated systems with no upgrade ability and, you know, once this thing becomes obsolete, it just becomes e-waste essentially. Uh, it's it's stuff like that that really kind of frustrates me um, when this is the direction that Apple decides that they, they're deciding to go. And it's all about money, right? This is about them fully controlling the, the narrative and the ecosystem and giving you a reason to, instead of buying a new processor or a new GPU or adding RAM or adding storage, you buy a whole new machine. And Apple's really good at selling you brand new products when the one you have could be great if you could just get a battery replacement. But that's not really a possibility, right? So yeah, it's it's stuff like that that really makes this event and the future of Apple seem kind of shady to me. But yeah, like I said, I, this is coming from someone who's not in the ecosystem and it could come off as pretty negative. I understand. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of positive opinions out there. Um and overall, I, I do still want to give them credit. M1 is great. And the, the concerns with the, he the heating of the M1 Ultra, I don't know. I can't say for sure whether or not this is not going to be an issue, but I would suspect it wouldn't be just because of how energy efficient M1 is. And by energy efficiency, that also means heat dissipation, right? Like how much heat is it going to use? How much energy it uses is also how much heat it's going to generate to actually be in uh, in service. And I imagine it's going to be able to handle it pretty well. There's also, you know, confirmation that the M1 Ultra is going to weigh a lot more. So I imagine that means it's probably going to have a much bigger heat sink. And, you know, we've seen the M1 Max in a 14-inch uh, MacBook. Clearly, this enclosure for this new uh, Mac Studio is over-engineered for the M1 Max. So I imagine it's going to be perfectly uh, designed for something like the M1 Ultra to cool it and... and you know, do that effect. So yeah, my, my concerns for that, I, I trust Apple and their design, but yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll end on there. <laughs> trust their design. Yeah. Couple, I guess, closing things for me. Mm -hmm. I think they're just going to run with this new ultra name tag and they're going to try and steal it from Samsung. Oh yeah. They spent a <laughs> couple years of ultra products and got a new ultra phone, which is essentially the note 
they have their new Ultra tablet, and then Apple's just going to come along with one event. All right, yeah, we own Ultra now. They're going to have an iPhone Ultra, an iPad Pro Ultra, and all kinds of Ultra stuff coming out. I think that's going to be funny to see if it does end up happening. And, you know, you mentioned they hinted, oh, we still have one more final product to complete the transition of all of our Mac products onto Apple Silicon. The Mac Pro is going to come out eventually, maybe comes out at the end of this year. I think if they, whenever they do come out with it, they're going to say, oh, you know, the M1 Ultra was revolutionary. We took the revolutionary M1 Max and we put two together. But <laughs> there's another secret we didn't tell you. The M1 Max can also fuse with two more M1 Max chips. Or no, sorry, the M1 Ultra can fuse with two more M1 Ultra chips. We're going to have the M1 Super Ultra Pro Max Fusion chip in our new Mac Pros. That's my my theory. It's my prediction. I mean, that would be really cool. I'm not going to lie. The M1 Ultra Pro Max Fusion chip? Yeah. Heard it here first, everyone. Mark mark the date in your calendars. November 15th, 2022. We're getting the Ultra Pro Max Fusion powered Max Pro. Mac Pro? Mac Pro. I get their names confused all the time. Anyways, that's it for me. Take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.